Good morning. Good to see everybody today and and good to have you joining us out there at our Midlothian campus. We've had an awesome time of worship and Lord's Supper here, haven't we, this morning? And I I trust you have out there also. And uh, I didn't tell you all what to do with the cups, did I? So on the left end of each row, there's a little basket. If if the person on the left end would pick that up and pass it down and y'all can just put your uh, communion cups inside there and just set it on the floor down at the right end. So that's how we take care of that this morning. So who's rooting for the New Orleans Saints to win the Super Bowl? Yeah, okay, some of you that's still maybe a little bit soon, yeah, I, I, I get it, a little bit of a ripoff there, but it, it happens, that's okay. You know, I do feel like on this Super Bowl Sunday, we probably should kind of resolve one issue, kind of understand where we are on that. Who believes Tom Brady is the GOAT, the, gr- the greatest of all time? It, it, oh, yeah, not very much, okay, I, I, I respect that, that's okay. I, I am. Uh, I, I do actually. I, I would call him the goat. That that that's my opinion on that. I I'm not a Pat, Patriots fan. I'm not a Tom Brady fan. But the dude's walking into his ninth Super Bowl, and he he got some other supporting statistics also. I think that just man, he just completely stands alone. But I realize we're not all there. Who hopes Tom Brady throws five interceptions tonight? Oh wow. All right, haters coming out. I love that's okay. That's okay. Let's just be real with who we are, man. It's it's a you know actually if if, if Tom Brady causes you a lot of angst, I I I apologize. I feel like I could have kept that from happening in your life. Uh, if if I would have pursued my NFL career, I would be. I would be the greatest of all time, and you wouldn't have all this struggle with Tom. This afternoon, y'all are laughing like I'm I'm being funny. Um, you know what? The, hey, hey, the truth is in the tape. I, I I want you to see what I was and and what I could have been. Let let's now. I'm only twelve, but you'll see it here. Okay. Let 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 let's go to the uh, the the tape and and you. That's me at quarterback. Yeah. All right. Look at the command I approached the line with. And, uh, you, you know, just running a play here, but th- that, that's what quarterbacks do. That, we're going to get a couple yards on this one. Now, on this next one, it's a pitch out. The only yardage this guy gets is because of the buck I gave right there. There we go. Now, quarterbacking's about passing. There it is, 25 yards for the 80-yard touchdown pass. There it is, going all the way. Wait, there, there's one more. I didn't just throw one pass. There it is again. Yeah, I mean, yeah, granted, I'm only 12, but you can see that really is the seedling of an all-time great, isn't it? Right, right. So I, I, I apologize. I, I would have retired about 12 years ago. I'd clearly be the greatest of all time, like 10 or 11 Super Bowls. I don't know. But uh, we wouldn't have to be all upset about Tom. Today. When did we start calling people goats? Was that just like in the last couple years? That, that uh, G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time, that's somewhat recent. But now why, why, why the label, the acronym by, might be recent. Boy, the discussion isn't, is it? I, I mean, there's always been spirited discussion, debate about who's the greatest, the, the best of all time. Not just in quarterbacks or football. Man, in every area of life. I mean, there's something about us that, that we seem really driven 
to, to identify who the best is. But if you notice this, the moment we identify him, don't we like to see him fall? I, 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 I think we do. I, I, I think there's a little bit of a human paradox there in that, in that we want to identify this person as the greatest, as the best. We want, to, we want to get him up there as king of the mountain, but we like to see our kings fall. We like to see them fail. We like to see them come back to earth. Why, why is that that we, we do that? Is, is, is it because that the moment we identify somebody as the greatest, we've just identified what we aren't? We, we've just identified that we can't, that we won't, that that's, that's never what will be. I, I want them to come back to earth and be just like me. You know, I I don't know how much there is to what I'm saying here, but there is something to what I'm saying here. This really does go on. And this is going to sound like a rough segue, but it's not. It's why I love the Bible. It's one of the reasons I love the Bible, in that the Bible holds out to us some goats, Some really greats of all time. The Bible holds out to us some heroes. But it's not holding out people that we can never be like. It's not meant to identify, well, here's what some people can do. Too bad you you can't. Gosh, I'm still thinking about Abraham from last week, aren't you? You know what? I know. I'll guarantee you there was hundreds of us. That at least once this week thought about the story of Abraham last week and thought, well, I don't know if I could do that. Man, I don't know if I have that, that kind of faith. We all of a sudden put ourselves in the, in the story of Abraham and we're thinking, man, I, I don't know if I could play the game that well. I don't, I don't know if I could be that good. And, and so we, we do that with scripture. We, we kind of identify these heroes, but, but then we have a tendency to say, well, I, I, I mean, I mean, seriously, it's, it's not like I'm going to be Moses. It's not, not like I'm going to be Paul. But see, that's a mistake that we make in reading the Bible. And I mean, we're here at the Heights. We're reading through the Bible this year. And boy, in the course of doing that, we're going to be introduced to, we're going to see a lot of great characters of Scripture. We're going, we're, going to be some, we're going to see some people who believe on God greatly, love God greatly, and God is going to do some great things through them. And the moment we kind of identify these heroes, we just immediately say, don't we? I don't think I'm making this up. I mean, I can't do that. I, I can't be that. Those, those are Bible heroes. I'm, I'm clearly not going to be a Bible hero. But folks, God doesn't hold out to us people to show us what we can't be. God holds out to us people to show us what he can do through people just like you. And they really are people just like us. So as we work through the whole Bible this year, in here in the sermon series, in our life groups, of course, you reading the Bible each day, working, you're still working on that, aren't you? Okay, don't quit. Yeah, you missed a few days. Get, just get back in and keep going there. And uh, we're going to all work through that together. But, so as we're doing that, we're in Genesis right now, plugging our, our way through that. And we've learned in Genesis that it's about beginnings. It's about, it's about the beginning of all things. It's about the beginning of creation, the beginning of the human race. And, of course, it's also about the beginning of the Hebrew Race And because it's about the beginning of the Hebrew race, over half the book of Genesis, and it's a big book, 
over half the book of Genesis is about three guys. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Man, these names are going to ring all the way, not not just through Genesis. Man, they're going to ring all the way throughout the Bible. This is the Hebrew faith. These are the patriarchs. As a matter of fact, we can fast forward from where we are in Genesis, 1,500, 2,000 years later, and, and Jesus, talking about his father, talks about him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Peter, preaching his very first sermon after the resurrection of Jesus. And guess who he's preaching about? Jesus, right? That's not confusing, is it? No, he's preaching about Jesus, but he talks about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, think of some of the great people in Scripture that don't get that kind of billing. Moses, David, Paul, Peter. I mean, there's a Peter, Paul, and Mary, but that's a whole other situation, right? I mean, think about the people that don't get that. So, since we have these three ringing throughout Scripture, is that kind of pointing to some goats? Is that kind of pointing to the, the, the greatest of all time in the Bible? I mean, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit. I'm telling you, they show great, great faith. You know, I, I, I bet something a lot of us have thought one time or another is we've read a story or seen something in Scripture and thought, you know, if God did that kind of thing today, if God would speak to me or move in that way today, I could believe. I could, but I'll tell you something. You know what makes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so great? They had so much less evidence than you have. So much less evidence, so much less information to work with than you and I have when they stepped out there to believe on God. Oh, they are great, but boy, are, are they just people. I'm going to knock a, a little bit of the shine off of them today. Let's open our, our Bibles, Genesis chapter 12. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've kind of gone to one passage and, and just spent some time there unwrapping it. Today, we're going to bounce around to a couple of passages, but we're going to start in Genesis 12, verse 10. Genesis 12, verse 10. It says there, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Well, that's a good husband, isn't it? I mean, what a, what a nice, loving thing to say. Well, it stops right there. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will want to kill me. But they will let you live. Say you are my... What? Say you are my sister? That it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. They just came and got her and took him to Pharaoh's house. And it wasn't to be a cook. You know, you know, she's being taken to the harem, isn't she? I mean, this is, this is not a good moment right here, is it? Does this read weird to anybody in here but me? You know, it's funny. There, there is kind of some cultural things going on here that take a little bit of edge off this story, but not really. 
It reads weird because it is weird. It reads bad because it, it is bad. I mean, think about what Abram's saying here. He's saying, hey, listen, when we get there, I don't know how this will work out for you when they come put you in his harem, but I'll be okay. And isn't that really the important thing at the end of the day that, that I'm taking care of here? And oh my gosh, hey, go to chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20, flip a few pages over. Chapter 20, verse 1. From there, Abram journeyed toward the territory of the Negev, and he lived near Kadesh, Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abram said of his wife, she is my... Boy, she did it. he did it again. You know, what? The, the first time at least he asked, hey, when we get there, would you be willing to say... No, this is kind of weird, but would you tell him... This time he didn't even ask. He saw him coming, my sister! This is my sister, that's it. <laughs> and look what happens again. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and he took Sarah. This is, this is not a fine moment for our man Abraham. At Genesis chapter 26. Let's pop over there to verse 6. Praise the Lord, we're not getting ready to read about Abraham. Ver, uh, chapter 26, verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar. Isaac is Abraham's Son, okay, so Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my... I can just, somehow I can hear a woman in the background saying he's just like his daddy. (laughs) She is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Now, I'll be honest with you, about this point right now, I'm kind of wanting to see what Sarah and Rebecca look like. I mean, these appear to be, in Hebrew, some real hotties. I'd like to know what's going on here. So, you know, it, it is interesting that, that our kids can kind of repeat the same sins, have the same flaws as us, as, our, as the parents. Matter of fact, it's not really interesting. It's kind of heartbreaking, isn't it? One interesting thing here, when when Isaac does this, he actually wasn't alive when his dad did that the two times. He hadn't been born yet. I I, I, I don't know how he comes about to doing this just like his dad did, but, but boy, he sure enough does the exact same thing. Not very respectful of his wife, not, not very careful about the position that he puts her in. And then, and then let's go look at Jacob. And, and we're not going to refer to anybody's wife as a sister when we get to Jacob. Jacob chapter 33, by the way, is where you might want to turn. Uh, Jacob, he really is the goat of these three. And when I say the goat, I'm not using the acronym greatest of all time. I'm saying Jacob's a goat, man. <laughs> this too, I'm not, I'm not going to read about when Jacob deceived his own twin brother and stole from him his inheritance. I'm not going to read about when Jacob deceived his dad, Isaac, because he was blind. He played on the fact that his dad was blind and deceived him. In the, oh, and guess what? Rebe- Rebecca, Jacob, uh, Isaac's wife, Jacob's mom, helps Jacob deceive dad. I mean, there's just some wonderful family dynamics going on 
right here. No, what I'm going to read about is Jacob and his, his four wives. Now, you're going, to, you're going to hear two wives and two servants or two concubines or two servant wives. None of these is really language that we use in our culture. It, it probably is just easy to understand. He's got four wives, four ladies that he relates with in that way, four ladies that he has children with. They all kind of travel as one family. As a matter of fact, sometimes when people will point to the Scripture and say, hey, you, you, you know, y'all say that marriage is just one man and one woman, but what about this? And, and of course, it's not just Jacob. I mean, David got a load of wives and Solomon. Who knows even what's going on there? 700 wives, 300 concubines. I mean, you, so, that, you know, you say that, that God says marriage is this, but then when you actually open the Bible, there, there's these Bible heroes and, and they have all these wives. What's going on there? Folks, the, the Bible is about real people. It's written about real people living real lives, and because it records what they do, it does not mean it endorses what they do. As a matter of fact, in all of the cases, it shows the mess they make because of what they do. We'll come back to that in just a moment. So it does not endorse what Jacob has done. It just simply records, here's what Jacob has done. So Jacob, after when when he deceived his brother, when he deceived his dad, Esau, his brother, said, I'm going to kill you, you little punk. And, And he didn't mean kill you like metaphorically. He meant like, I'm literally going to take the life From your body. And so Jacob puts two and two together and says, it might be a good time for me to leave the house. And he does for about two decades. He leaves the nation. He goes and lives somewhere else, gathers up for himself four wives and a bunch of kids and flocks and herds and prospers and decides now it's time to go home. But as you might can imagine, he's a little nervous about what Esau's going to do. He's a little nervous about how Esau will respond to him coming home. So in chapter 33, that's kind of where we're picking up. It says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. Okay, I think it's the 400 men that make him a little bit nervous. I think he goes, okay, so not only is he going to kill me, it looks like he's coming to wipe out everything I have. He's going to come kill my families. He's going to kill my flocks and herds. He's bringing an army with him. And by the way, just to relieve the tension, Esau's going to receive him with open arms. But, but for today, at this moment, as he's looking out there, man, he says, I'm in real trouble. I need to do something. So let, let's see what he does. Uh, verse 2. Or, no, still in the middle of verse 1. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. Do you see what he just did? Okay, so he says, okay, uh, servant servant wife number one. I never really liked you anyway. Come over here. Put you here and, and your kids. And remember, her kids are also... His kids, I mean, these kids look at Jacob and call him daddy. And, and so he, he puts them, then we're going to jog back here about 50 yards. And servant wife number two, you come right here and your kids. And then he gets Leah. Leah, come over here and bring the kids with you. Leah, who he actually refers to as the ugly wife. Yeah, that's a special feeling, isn't it? And so he's got her there in the number three slot. And then Rachel, her, his favorite wife, the pretty wife, and, and Joseph, his favorite son, he's got about a quarter mile back. 
You see what's happening here, right? So, so here comes Esau and the 400 men. When they attack and start to slaughter wife and family number one, hopefully at this point we know what's happening and Rachel can start to get, make getaway. And we can protect. And, and if he gets to wife number two, you know, Rachel and Joseph are, are, are getting out of town. Do you think the kids picked up on what this lineup was doing? They absolutely did. They absolutely knew what their dad was doing. And it was devastating to that home. As a matter of fact, really, from this point on, a lot of everything that happened. When we're in Genesis 33, there's 17 chapters to go. And pretty much everything that is going to roll out is because of the favoritism that Jacob shows on this day. I mean, it, it, is, it is devastating. to This is really an ugly look at Jacob and his family. I mean, it's so bad, you can't help but ask, God, why would you... I mean, folks, you realize not everything that happened in Abraham or Jacob or Isaac's life, not everything that happened in Moses' life or Paul's life or Peter, you know it's not all in here, right? No, we're given snapshots. We're given glimpses. Things are pulled out of their lives to build the story. Well, why would you include this, God? Why, why, would, why would you shine such a negative light? Why would you let us see this? Because, folks, God uses real people. He uses real people who've lived real lives, who've been maybe through some real problems in their lives, and in some cases have caused the real problems in people's lives. You you know, the, the Bible is very, very unique compared to any other religion compared to any other movement, compared to any other political scheme. I mean, look around at how, how we work. I mean, we, we prop an individual up there as our leader, and then, and then we want to protect them. We want to keep them clean. We don't, we don't want to see the warts, right? You know, because we, we, want, we want that person to be able to lead effectively, and sometimes we want to adore them. Well, why, why doesn't the Scripture protect its leaders? Because God uses real people. He wants you to know that he uses real people. Folks, the Bible is not extending to us Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to show you what God does through great people. But rather, it extends to you these three people and a whole host of others to show you what God does through real people. See, what makes the reason God enters covenant with them, the reason that God uses them, is not because of how great they are, how special they are, how unlike you and me they are. What we're seeing there is how good and kind and merciful God is. Nobody in this book is perfect. There's nobody in this book you can look at and say, I I just... I mean, thanks for the inspiration, thanks for the model, but I I can't do that. Man, the, the Bible uses nothing but imperfect people. Gosh, David, David was an adulterer, but through his life, we got to see what God could do through a warrior, through a soldier. Moses was a murderer. But through his life, we got to see what God could do through a leader, a very nervous leader. I might add. Paul was the original persecutor. He was the original one. The the leader. The original leader of let's go kill Christians. And through him we got to see what God would do through an intellectual. We've got Elijah. 
And I would probably add with Elijah, I would go back and pick up David. And, and these are guys, and I'm not referring to this as a sin, like adultery and murder. We got guys that really, I think, suffered with depression. And you can see several psalms that David wrote and realized this guy, this doesn't just seem to be a bad moment. I'm down today. I, I think he suffered with bouts of depression. But through people like Elijah and David, we saw what God could do through emotion. What he could do through, through passion. Oh, Jonah. Jo- Jonah's my favorite. <laughs> through through Jonah. I mean, Jonah, Jonah would rather die than obey God. You, you understand? That's exactly what he said. I'd rather die twice. twice. I'd rather die than do what you say to do. And through his life, we got to see what, what God could do when somebody finally obeys, even if it's with a bit of a bad attitude. Now, you know, when you look at all this and you realize, well, God uses anybody. Is this, is this kind of saying in a roundabout way that, that how we live really doesn't matter? That, that, that sin really doesn't matter? At the end of the day, oh, you did your best. It's no big deal. I, I'll be friends with anybody. No, it's actually not saying that at all. As a matter of fact, as God introduces us to these very perfect people, they're all illustrations that even though I love God and I'm a lot better than everybody else, my sin can still be very devastating. It can still have very negative consequences inside my home, outside my home, in my work, in my job. Folks, sin is brokenness and it will break what we touch. But even in the midst of that, God does want to say, there's nowhere you've been. There's nothing you've done. There's nothing that's been done to you that disqualifies you. There is nothing about you that would keep me from entering covenant, a devoted, committed relationship with you. There is nothing about you that would keep me from doing Great, God-like, superhero, Bible hero things through you. Folks, the question is not how perfect and great we've lived. The question is not how perfect and great Abraham and Isaac and Jacob lived. The question is, will I love them? And will I trust them? That's, what, that's the common theme between every one of those great lives. They have different sins. They have the same sins. They deal with different consequences for those sins. But, but the thing that unites them is they loved God greatly. And they believed on God greatly. And God did some great things through them. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray I could, we could believe on you like Abraham. Lord, your word tells me to whom much is given, much is expected, and I have received so much more than Abraham would have ever dreamed of understanding, than Abraham would have ever dreamed of knowing. Abraham never saw Jesus on the cross. Abraham never saw Jesus walk out of the tomb. I have. Abraham never opened a book called the Bible. I do. Oh, Lord, thank you for all that you've given us to feed and to fuel our faith. 
And Lord, with all we've been given, may we believe like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.